Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Today is a very special episode as we are listening to our hymposium, where we recently had a conversation with Brian Henn of the Center for Congregational Song. If you wish to watch this seminar, you are more than welcome to hop over to our YouTube channel, Round Hill Media, where you can see the event in its entirety. Otherwise, I invite you to enjoy this conversation with Brian. So welcome everybody to our second hymposium. Uh, it is a word we have made up here at Round Hill Community Church and we're sticking with it. <laughs> a fanfare to start us off. A huge welcome to Brian Hen. We are so excited to have you. I have a little informational sheet about him. So I'm going to embarrass you, Brian, by reading all of it. So all Brian true. is an inspiring song leader, equally comfortable leading an acapella singing of It Is Well as he is drumming and dancing to Sizo Hambe Naye. He corrected me on the spell and the pronunciation of that. Experienced using a variety of genres and instrumentations, he has led worship for Baptists, Roman Catholics, United Methodists, Presbyterians, and many more, including us Brownillians. Across the United States and Canada, he received his Bachelor of Music Education from Wingate University, his Master of Sacred Music from Perkins School of Theology, Southern Methodist University, and is certified in children's church music by the Choristers Guild. Fun fact, I went to Choristers Guild camp when I was a little kid. It's how I learned how to play handbells. Nice. He has articles published on sacred music and congregational song in multiple journals and co-authored two books on liturgical drumming under the title All Hands In, published by the Choristers Guild. While working for the Hymn Society as the director of the Center for Congregational Song, he is also adjunct professor of church music at Wingate University in Wingate, North Carolina, and lives in Baltimore, Maryland with wife Eve and son Jacob. So welcome, Brian. If there was ever a person tailor-made to be part and to lead our hymposium, it is you. It is Very you. Good. We made this thing and you and you are here and we are so grateful to have you with us today. Thank you so, so much for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. It's exciting. So I want to start off with kind of a, a general question. Oh, OK. I mean, obviously, hymnody has changed so much in the past year or our, our experience of hymnody has changed. What? Is the most what is the thing that has surprised you the most about how it's changed over the past year? That's a very good question. No one's asked me that question before. Because <laughs> I feel like so much of it, you know, like we a lot of us can't sing together, mm-hmm. at least at the same time. We've been seeing sort of these online hymns him and choral pieces you know what's surprising to me and maybe this is because i grew up I, you know i grew up watching back to the future and like you know movies that were like in the year 2020 you know they're like <laughs> flying cars the jetsons you know it's like yeah it is surprising to me that when the time came when we entered this global pandemic and it wasn't safe to sing together the the technology had not that technology was not able to pivot enough with us to allow for group singing easily. Mm-hmm. There are there are some systems that make it somewhat possible, but they're so convoluted and difficult that the average person cannot access them. And even over the course of a year and almost a year and a half now, it, the technology is still not there. Yeah. And that's surprising to me. We should. Like, but I'll, I'm also of the opinion that we should have self-driving cars by now. So like, er, like, you know, everyone should just be using. So maybe I'm just hopeful. I don't know about technology. Yeah, I mean, I was promised a Jetsons flying car. Yes. Thank and you. And I feel like the world has underdelivered. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's very disappointing. Really, It is. And you know, that's, that's really, <laughs> that really is interesting because that's the experience we've had here. We've done a couple of those like coral you know, group choral video projects here. And the Mm -hmm. feedback I got from my choir was that, you know, it was so tough on them because their experience of singing is singing together. And it was so tough to do that in such an isolated experience Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, where you don't have your best friend and your and your church colleague you've known for 20 years sitting next to you and the whole experience lost all the marrow. It lost mm-hmm. all of the richness of experience. And so it's like, you know, they kind of were not really into the idea of doing, you know, the the outcome was great. But they weren't really into the idea of doing any more because it was like that's not that doesn't feed us in the way that singing together weekly has fed them before. So let's sing. Let's, let's do sing. I want to open with song. Um, I call this the Holy zoom duet um, because I, I sing and I can't hear you sing, but I'm assuming you're singing and you can't hear anyone else sing other than me. So it's like a duet with a lot of people. Um, So this is, um, this is a, a global song from Minnesota uh, Lutherans <laughs> uh, called Come Let Us Worship God. So I'll sing a line and then you just sing it right back to me. No matter what it sounds like or what I say, you just sing it right back. Come let us worship God. Let us worship God. Welcome everyone. Welcome everyone to the love of God. To the love of God. Rest for the weary. Thank you so much, Brian. Oh, it already feels better. <laughs> right. So a wonderful text in there. Welcome everyone. So that leads us so beautifully into part one of our symposium, where we're going to talk about the question, why should we sing songs from other t- places, times, cultures, or perspectives? I feel like we're very good at singing songs from other times. As Although a we, Bach, don't all, we don't always acknowledge that, but yes, we are. We are, well, you know, as a Bach-loving organist <laughs> and as a Bach-loving choir, we uh, like to do other times, but we're not maybe as good as other places, cultures, or perspectives. So what what thoughts do you have for us on that today? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the first thing is that um, most congregations already sing a significantly wide variety of literature. Um, from various times, places, and cultures. The, the problem is that we have, um, for various reasons, um, we've kind of allowed ourselves to filter all of that music into one soundscape. It's like, whether it's a chant from Ambrose of Milan in the 400s or a chorale from the time of Martin Luther, which is Renaissance, 
or a Bach harmonization of that chorale, which is Baroque, or a a French romantic song, or a Charles Wesley hymn, or a Fanny Crosby hymn, or a 1970s hymn from Britain. All of them sound the same (laughs) for some reason. We just play them all the same. Even tempos have gotten like squashed together so that things that should have a lively dance tempo feel more like a dirge and things that need to have some breath are kind of squeezed upward into this kind of generic sound. So we've kind of done ourselves a disservice because already within most hymnals, even though most of the literature is European or white, you know, white's not a thing we've allowed ourselves to kind of play into this false narrative. We need to celebrate and explore all the sounds and landscapes that the past has given us. Um, If it's a German Baroque song, play it like a German Baroque song. If it's a chant, sing it like a freaking chant. Like we have so much at our fingertips already without even talking about the globalization of the, and the interconnectedness of our church in the world now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a good place to start to kind of deconstruct what we're what we've already kind of gotten into, and celebrate all the diversity there, um, which then makes it really easy to go to other traditions and cultures uh, and places and explore the music that they have to offer and celebrate that um, because we've already celebrated like fifteen different styles, yeah, right? So it, what's adding a sixteenth? It's like, oh, that's yeah. what we do. Yeah, you know, when God, you're already God's approaching it with authenticity and, and a respect for its origins, then just e- expanding your your investigation and your and your your sort of exploration and travel mm-hmm. to other places and times, it, it makes that sort of easy. Yeah, it feels very know. natural at that point to just be like, well, yeah, let's just add another one. God's big enough to to kind of you know hear and take part in all of this. So who are we to stop? stop exploring the greatness of God. Right. Um, I want to, I want to tell you a story. Um, there, there's, there's two elements that I want to explore briefly with this question. One is how our song shapes us personally. Um, the other one is how our song, uh, uh, affects our neighbor, right? Because, um, in order to love God, we have to explore what we think about God. Mm Mm-hmm. So how is the song shaping us and our understanding of God, but also um, how and what we sing um, affects our neighbors. And so if we're to love our neighbors, then what and how we sing also plays into, you know, that commandment. So the greatest commandment, love God, love your neighbor, is very much wrapped up in the act of singing together, especially congregational singing when we're doing it in groups. So I'll tell you a story uh, about... Two months ago, three months ago, I started a, a landscaping pro- or hardscape project in my backyard. I was putting in an outdoor kitchen and moving stone and rock and digging, and it was just ter- it was hard work. So my wife said, "You know, hire somebody to help you just dig and stuff. They don't have to be skilled or anything." So I just put out a call to my neighborhood, you know, listserv, and said, "Anyone interested in working in the yard? I'll pay you, you know, fifteen bucks an hour." And this kid, uh, he's a senior in high school. Uh, responded, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll come. So, okay, great. So he came to my yard. He is African. He'd been in the States for four years. He did all of his high school years in, in the States. Um, but his mom was still in, in Nigeria and I said, oh, you're Nigerian. You know, um, I know a Nigerian song. Because uh, that's what I do when I, I talk with people. I th- try to think of a song that connects me with them and share it with them. And usually that goes pretty well. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and he was like... Uh, and so I sang it for him, and it's a Yoruba song. Yoruba is the largest tribe in Nigeria, and he knew the song. Um, and he knew it and started singing along. I said, "But that's the only Nigerian song I know." And and he was Igbo, which is the second largest tribe in Nigeria. And and I, I said, "Well, I only know the, the one Yoruba song." And he said, "Well, I have to fix that." So he taught me this song that I'm about to share with you about two months ago while we were working in the yard and I learned it. It took me about two or three hours to get the words right. And I was learning it by rote with him as we were working and, you know, um, but I learned his song 
And so, and at the end of that, he had this huge smile on his face and he said, my mom is going to be so excited that I taught you an Igbo song. And so then when I saw him again, when we were finishing up our work a couple of days later, I said, did you tell your mom? And he said, oh, she was so happy. She was so proud of me. And we, you know, we're so, you know, um, so just by the, through the simple act of learning someone else's song and singing it with him, uh, just, I mean, it just brought joy to his life. So it's, it was worth it just because of that. Um, but on a deeper level, it spoke to this kind of idea of hospitality and it made him feel like he was a, he was welcome at my home. And that's really important to me. And this idea of hospitality is baked into the Christian identity. So if we're going to love our neighbor, if we're going to be radically hospitable, um, as Jesus calls us to be, then we have to start with the assumption or with the willingness to sing the song of the other, whatever the other is, whatever community isn't represented that might show up at your doorstep. Um, we have to be willing to sing their song. So here's the song. I'm just going to, I'm going to share my sound. The, um, the words, uh, maybe, maybe you could copy and paste the words in the chat, but it's in your handout. It's basically a song of praise. And, uh, and I'll just, I'll play it on loop and I'm just, I'll start with the melody. And then I added a couple of harmonies that I just made up because I asked him what the harmonies were. He said, do what people just make them up? I said, right, indeed. So you can sing harmonies if you want. You can sing the melody. It sounds like this. Mama diriki chineke, mama diriki onyoma, mama diriki chineke, mama diriki onyoma. So it repeats twice. And then the B section is, oh, chineke, which means great God. Onyoma, which means, you know, great God. God is so good. So here's what it sounds like. I'll actually play it now. Let's see. Mamma diriki chineke, mamma diriki onyema, mamma diriki chineke, mamma diriki onyema, o chineke, o onyema, o chineke. Harmony. Mamma diriki chineke, mamma diriki onyema, mamma diriki chineke, mamma diriki onyema, o chineke, o onyema, o chineke, o onyema, mamma diriki chineke. Mamma diriki onyema, mamma diriki chineke, mamma diriki onyoma, o chineke, o onyoma, o chineke, o onyoma. Mamma diriki chineke, mamma diriki onyema, mamma diriki chineke. Mamma diriki onyoma, o chineke, o onyoma, o chineke, o onyoma. That's so wonderful, and I, I have I'm written in big letters on the top of my of my page. Sing each other's songs. I think that's going to be, I think that's such an, a, a wonderful way to see each other and to sort of, I mean, you can walk a mile in someone's shoes, but if you sing their song, then that's, that's a whole other level of understanding. So thank you for that. If we, we, we can end now, you know, yeah. <laughs> no, I've got, I've got well, like a whole know, handout. I spent that. time making this handout. No, um. I love it. I'm so excited. So <laughs> let's, let's go ahead to um, this Carol with a text by Shirley Arena Murray. Carol we, or Christmas. Yeah, her text, I have found myself really drawn to <laughs> lately. And so I'm really excited to to dive into this one. Uh, so were you already familiar with this then? 
Yeah, not actually this, not this is the, this one is new to me. So okay. I'm excited. Yeah. So Shirley, Shirley Murray is a New Zealander, um, born and born and bred, uh, and she died last year. Um, and so this is, she was so tired of singing Christmas carols about snow has fallen snow on snow and in the bleak midwinter. And she's over there like on the beach. Cause it's like in the middle of the summer, you know? So, so she wanted to write a, a Christmas carol from a Southern hemisphere perspective. And so that's what this song is. instrumentation on that one <laughs> that was fun very rich <laughs> very fun that's yeah that's so interesting i love i love her her take on that and you know if you basically if you don't live in a small section of the country and of the world where christmas is snowy you know it's a whole different experience isn't it exactly so speaking of different experiences i'm going to mm-hmm. try to segue into this next nice <laughs> i'm still trying to figure out my camera here because i accidentally uh, swung my zoom onto the wrong screen there oh. we go yeah let's all give a moment to appreciate that he's he's doing multi-cam here guys this is a fancy fancy human <laughs> we're appreciative <laughs> so part two mm-hmm. is we're looking at the question how do you plan and lead music where all can fully participate. Because we sort, I, I sort of thought of this question in terms of participation in terms of those who are really comfortable singing, those mm-hmm. who are not comfortable singing, and also all ages and all stages of life. How can we create a fully inclusive musical experience for our congregation, which is I mean, that kind of deserves it. I mean, that kind of is what our symposium, I I think, is all about, right? Creating something where we are, everyone is welcome in this space. Everyone is welcome to fully participate to whatever level really feeds them. Sure. I mean, this goes back to this basic idea of hospitality. Do do we sing songs that are accessible at, at some point or another? Do we sing songs in public corporate worship that are accessible and designed for children? Do we sing songs that in a way, in a style, or 
from a source that is meaningful to our octogenarians? Do we, you know, do we sing a, a, you know, do we sing songs that challenge each other? Um, do we sing songs that comfort each other? And on an individual level, when a song is being done that is obviously not for yourself, do you sing it as robustly or with as with as much intention as you would a song that you love? And if not, why? Mm-hmm. Is the song that is meaningful to your neighbor more or less meaningful to God than the songs that you love? Is the song that you don't like but your neighbor may love is the fact that you don't like it, does that mean that God can't use it? These are questions we have to ask ourselves on an individual level because ultimately when a group of people gather, there's going to be that many tastes and opinions on music. And so there has to be some give and take. There has to be that idea of hospitality. Um, So that's kind of, that's, that's it. <laughs> that's all. That's all. That's all it is. <laughs> that little the, no, I, yeah, it's yeah. so it's so interesting too, isn't it? Because you know, it and then that leads to even kind of a bigger question of who is worship for? Right. Right? Like what are we what are, what are we there for? Right. Like the one, yeah. I feel like, I feel like it, it all, all roads lead to that sort of question of, are we there? Did us? I put, did I put Brian's definition of worship on here? I don't think. Yeah, you did. I did. It's in part four. Oh, it's in part four. Yeah. I have a definition of worship that I, that I teach my students in my worship course. Um, that I just, it's, I mean, it's, it's mine that I've never heard anyone else utter it, but it's essentially a distillation of everyone else's definition of worship that I've come across. And um, so it's not really mine, but um, it's kind of cheeky, but it's also serious. Um, but it kind of gets at that question of like, why are we here? And what's, what's the point? Um, you know, there's, there's always, there's always the people that insist that it's all about God. It's all about God. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it is all it is all about God. Like giving praise to God, these are all important things. But it, it's also a, kind of about us because, like, if we're going to be the body of Christ, and Christ is God, you know, and if Jesus is like, "Hey, what's the most important thing? Um, love God. Oh, and love your neighbor. They really can't be separated." Mm-hmm. Then you know, then when we gather for corporate worship, it can't just be about God. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, I've noticed that the people who insist that worship is, is just about God, like, Oh, it's just about praise. You know, that they still have a sermon and I'm pretty sure God already knows that stuff. That the <laughs> sermon's about. So I wonder why that's there. Um, because the people of God need to be taught. We need to be together. We need to grow together. We need to challenge each other and grow more toward the likeness of God. So there's this, there's this dual you know, element of, yeah, worship is to praise God and worship God, but it's also to learn about God and to grow towards God as a community and mm-hmm. to love each other. Um, so, you know, which is why singing is so powerful because, you know, when we sing together, if we're learning through the text, we are also by the very act of singing together, becoming more connected and interconnected. So, it has this wonderful dual mechanism of, yeah, we're praising God, but we're also learning about God and we're creating like we're creating um, uh, neurotransmitters and stuff that make us feel more connected as a community. And so we're growing closer as a community and we're more likely to take care of each other. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) that's what singing does, you know? So that's, you know, that's one of the reasons it's so powerful and people love doing it. I love that. It's, it's kind of that, that the duality there. Um, So, we had a podcast recently that uh, Pastor Ed and I did. We were talking about the Trinity, and he explained in a way did that you solve it? well, he did. I mean, he, of course, he you did. Solved it. He's a genius. Oh but like, so he explained it in a way that it finally got through my thick skull, which is that yeah. it's that it is that ex, three expressions of God, hmm. and I feel like it, it was much more 
poetic than that. So everyone go back and listen to that episode and hear Ed say it properly. But in the way that it's it, those th- three things exist in this one, mm. I think these these two ideas of worship existing in the one um, is that kind of way of loving God and loving your neighbor through music um, is a really interesting idea. I think we can. I mean, we could we could go on for for weeks and weeks on this. Um, should we sing some more? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> let's. Uh, so I have two. So I have two songs for this section. Uh, we can do it back to back if you like. Sure. So let me introduce both. Um, the first one is a children's song from Cameroon. It's called "In the Boat with Christ, My Lord." And I'm not going to try the French. I mean, I, I can sing the French, but it's really bad French, and so I make no pretensions at being good at French. And so at, uh, I'm just going to do the English, but this song was written for children. Uh, Therese Nomo, uh, worked with the children of her church and she loves to write songs for them to learn the Bible and to learn, you know, to learn about God and sing together. So she was on the hymnal committee for the very first United Methodist hymnal of Cameroon. And she brought this song and, you know, the committee loved it and they wanted to include it. And so John Thornburg, who's a Methodist minister in Texas, was who was helping facilitate that project, um, took a took a stab at, at translating it into an English translation. And it's he translated it as in the boat with Christ my Lord on the wild and stormy seas, all is well when after Jesus calms the storm, right? So like Jesus calms the storm and all is well, all is sweet, do some all all, uh sweet and gentle. Um and, you know, Therese was like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. And he, he felt like he wasn't getting something right. And finally she said, John, all is well in the boat during the storm because we're with Jesus. He had gotten the tense wrong. And he had this kind of wonderfully humbling moment of being this Westerner who was like, yeah, you know, so when Jesus calms the storm, the reason that the disciples are okay is because Jesus calmed the storm. So after the storm, everyone's fine, right? That's how we would normally interpret this thing. But she, this, this woman who's known hunger for more of her life than she should and lives, um, in, in extreme poverty, um, is like, no, it, it's all okay because we're in the boat with Jesus, whether it's during or after the storm. And that's a beautiful, so I love this song and I use it as a kind of a private devotional. So we'll sing that. The other one we're going to sing is all things bright and beautiful. So one of the questions was, um, how important is like what we sing, you know, and, and, and this, and, and also when we're talking about what we're singing, you know, part of what we're doing is we're forming our understanding of who God is. And this is a wonderful children's hymn that eventually became just a hymn that everyone sang, but it was designed as a children's hymn in the 1800s. Um, And most of the verses are now left out because the theology is terrible. But the remaining stanzas that we have left are wonderful. So that's all to say that sometimes we sing things that we shouldn't. And sometimes it takes us a, a, a century or two to figure out that we shouldn't be singing that and things change uh, and that's okay, but we do need to keep an eye on that. So here, uh, let's do uh, the Cameroon one. <clears throat> you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it up on my big screen here so that I don't uh, mess it up. So I'll just sing it through a couple times. In the boat with Christ my Lord On the wild stormy sea All is well both in this hour And for all eternity I, I, oh, all is well in this hour I, I, oh and for all eternity in the boat with Christ my Lord on the wild 
stormy scene All is well both in this hour And for all eternity I, I, oh All is well in this hour I, I, oh And for all eternity Things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. Each little flower that opens, each little bird that sings, God made their glowing colors, God made their leads us so beautifully into the next section because the beginning of the refrain has that D, which for some people is pretty high. For some voices, that's a high note. Um, especially in the morning. Especially, oh man, on a, on a Sunday morning at that. Right. <laughs> so it leads us to the question of is how we sing as important as what we sing because I know right. you know I get people you know the thing the thing there's I have many pet peeves in life but one of them is that when people who have been told when they were kids oh don't sing yeah, yeah. you know I feel like the, the the, when they were as kid they were squashed to not sing and that breaks my heart yeah, so much worst. and so and so they don't sing and they don't sing in public and mm -hmm. And I, you know, that expression um, is something they choose not to do because they feel like they can't. Um, so, what what would you say to those people? Oh, well, to those people, I mean, I would say you should sing, and and I would talk to them about why they feel like they can't or shouldn't. Um, and there's some deep psychological things going on there. Um, but you know, I mean, the the Bible's clear that we should sing. Um, there's really no getting around it. It never says, you know, sing a new song to the Lord unless you can't carry a pitch. You know, that it never says that. There are no qualifiers. Um, and it repeats itself over and over again. Jesus sang with his disciples in the book of Mark and Matthew. So we know Jesus sang together. Um, 
so if we're going to be Christ-like, then kind of guessing, um, there's just no getting around it. Um, you've just got to do it. And if someone's like, Ew, why are you singing? They'd be like, cause God told me to, God told me to, so back off. <laughs> um, or you could be nice about it either way, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta own up to the voice God gave you and, and give it back to God, you know? Yeah. Well, and there's that directive in the beginning of the, the United Methodist hymnal, to uh, is it to sing lustily and with good lustily cheer? and with good courage good courage yes even better yeah. so we you know, you know we are all we are all uh, part of the great chorus what's um, what's left out of that is the preamble um he, they they always include the instructions yeah you know, there's like 10, 10 instructions which are quite famous but the preamble is actually why we should sing because the the 10 instructions are kind of how you should sing but why you know, they, uh, Wesley actually dealt with that and he said uh, to the glory of God and to the benefit of our neighbor. So Wesley connects congregational song directly back to the greatest commandments. Um, just got to do it. I do it. It's just like we've been saying all, all evening. But how we sing matters just as much as what we sing. And, you know, it, only, only in like a white Protestant, congregation in the 20th century can you be like now we're going to sing stand up for stand up stand up for jesus please sit down <laughs> you know and like we just sit there and sing stand up stand up for jesus and it doesn't make any sense um oh, but but there's a i mean that, that's kind of a funny anecdote but but it's it's serious it's like if you know if we actually believe that god cares about what we're doing which i believe i, I believe god cares about what we're doing and God cares about how we worship. And I think God cares about how we were, you know, a lot of the old Testament kind of deals with that. God's obviously pretty in, involved with, um, then, then why, why is it okay to sing? Um, now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices who want like, that's just bad theology. I don't care if you're singing the right words. It's bad theology. Like, cause your body isn't enacting the theology and theology devoid of action is one of the worst things in the world. Like, you know, that's faith without works. That, that doesn't work. If, if we're going to sing praise to God, if we're going to talk about a loving God and sing about a loving God, if we're going to sing about dancing and, all thank now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, and we're not going to enact that. Mm-hmm. Then do we really mean it? I, and I think we need to prove to God that yeah we do mean it, and we need to prove to our neighbor that yeah we mean it. Um, when we sing happy songs, we should we should act happy. When we sing sad songs, we should allow ourselves to feel sad and act sad. We should give God the fullness of humanity because God knows what that's like that's why we have Jesus. God knows what it's like to be human and full, you know, sad and happy. God knows what food tastes like. And, you know, God knows what it's like to dance. So we have to, we have to give God those things or else we're really just spinning our wheels and that's not good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it speaks to a more holistic experience of worship, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it speaks to, I mean, I think the thing about, singing is it's our bodies are our instruments. Mm -hmm. The thing I always come back to, like what a miracle that is, you know, Mm -hmm. as, as an organist, as a pianist, as a whateverist, you know, you have to go to this instrument, you have to bring it along and take things. And it's, it's an interaction versus when we sing, you are all you need. Mm -hmm. You come fully prepared to do this thing wherever you are, if you're doing landscaping or you're sitting in your office or everywhere in between that, that is a, you are fully prepared to enter into any act of worship of singing anytime. And and I will, I will dig a little bit more into this just for a second. Um, I, I did a, I did a plenary address for some monks up in Minnesota on, on kind of embodied, I like dancing and embodied song and stuff. And, um, 
there is a there is a distinct difference in intentional stillness and neglect of the body so it there are times in worship and certain worship styles and um you know various moments where intentional stillness is indeed a good and necessary thing so i'm not crapping on this idea of staying still that can be really important and meaningful but what i have experienced in the majority of the worship experiences that i've had where i think this this really needs some embodiment here um is this kind of unintentional or intentional neglect of the body or quelching squelching of it and that has this long history of um the church is really bad about dealing with sex um like we're just really bad with it, it it's going to take centuries to figure this out but thank goodness for the 60s and 70s right um <laughs> liberation all right um and then but you know we're just not good with dealing with that and there's this understanding that our bodies are sinful original sin is passed on through the act of sex which is why Jesus had to be born of a Virgin Mary and why Mary was, you know, the Immaculate Conception, all this, like this idea that sin is actually like in the body and that the mind and the soul can overcome that. There are passages in Paul that have been used to kind of undergird this theology. The, this, the, the flesh is weak, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we have, I feel like we have a hyper version of that because the U S our culture was, especially our church culture was so shaped by the early Puritans and the Puritanical movement and all these things. And so, you know, it's like, if we use our bodies, we're being sinful, you know, don't, you know, uh, a flash dance, right. The Baptists are like, don't dance. It's sinful. Um, but you know, so we have all that going against us when we try to use our bodies, our bodies are telling us no, because we've got hundreds, if not thousands of years of being told, like you could sin if you do that. And that would be bad. Which is ridiculous because you think, does anyone walk into a sanctuary on Sunday morning and think, well, I'm sinless and so God's really going to enjoy this? <laughs> like, no. Like, the first thing we do in worship is we we confess our sins because no one walks into that space. And then do you think people aren't sinning the whole time during worship? Of course they are. They think about stuff that's terrible and they're like, oh, I shouldn't have thought about that. I should have been praying or, oh, you know, I shouldn't, you know, or, you know, whatever. So we got we have to let go of this idea and just give God all of who we are, mm -hmm. including our bodies. Yeah. So does that lead us into our next song? I didn't mean to go into a diatribe about the It's okay. Diatribe away. For, you know, no, I'll, I'll, I'll support your soapbox for you. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what's next? <laughs> That's a great question. Do you want to do um, Let My People Go? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so, okay. So how we sing is important, what we sing. All right, so uh, Let My People Go. So this is a spiritual, right? And it's, um, so this is a, a Negro spiritual or slave spiritual or African-American spiritual. People call it different things for different reasons. Uh, and it comes from, it comes from the enslaved people of Americas. Um, and they, they, a lot of times they would have been used as work songs. I have this really, really distinct memory of Andre Thomas. I was in a choir at Florida state when I was in like in high school or middle school or something. And he was working with our choir and, um, and he had us, he had us take imaginary shovels and dig during the song. And he said, you have to feel the shovel hitting the dirt with this song. And that's like how we sing when Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go is, is so, so very important, especially as people who don't have a history of being enslaved. You know, we have to enter into the song in a physical way to really find its, define some of its meaning that otherwise we'll never, we'll never fully understand. So we can't be like, uh, what is it? When Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. Boom, ba -doom, ba -doom, da -da. <laughs> so hard he could not stand. Let my people go. What key am I in? Like what, what key is it? Are you, you got it up on the screen? I got it. 
It's in uh, G minor. Oh, all right. I was in like F minor. When Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. Oppressed so hard they could not stand. Let my people go. Like, that's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. Like, I, I, there are some arrangements like that, and I'm not judging those arrangements because if, if that's a song from your culture or whatever, and you want to go, fine. But when we're using this song in worship, especially as a majority white congregation, um, we have to try to invoke this, this gut-wrenching place that it came from. Because that's what will help connect us to the song, the people that gave us this song, and and therefore connect us closer to God and the realities of history and how God has worked. So it has to be, when Israel was in Egypt's land, let my people go. You have to feel the... You know... Go down, Moses, way. You have to to feel it. And if you sing a song like this and you don't feel it, then you're you're not doing it right. Like this comes from this very deep place. Um, So how we sing a song like this, how we sing songs from other places and cultures matters. Um... It would be like having spaghetti and meatballs without meatballs. It's a different dish. It's just spaghetti, you know? Um, or it'd be like, you know, trying to make a curry without turmeric. Right. It's not a curry. Right. You left out an ingredient. Um, some of these songs from various times and places and cultures need certain elements to really come to life and be connected to that time and place and people that it came from. Um, yeah. And, and so this, this idea that like, yeah, God's listening to our song, but God's also watching, right? If God's using one of the senses listening, then God's probably using the other senses like watching and feeling and tasting, which is why I advocate for a communion bread that doesn't taste like crap. And, um, and, and not only that, but God, like God joins into the music making. Mm -hmm. I really don't like the idea of God just like watching worship and be like, Oh, look at that. They're doing great. No, (laughs) No, God, God with us, Emmanuel, Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus you know, sent the Holy Spirit to be the great advocate. And Paul says the Spirit utters sighs too deep. When, when we don't know what to say, the Spirit intercedes for us. Like God is with us. And so when we're worshiping, God's doing this with us. Um, I think that means something. And, and so how we're doing these things matters just as much as as what we're, the words we're saying. Yeah. So moving us a little forward a little bit, we're having so much fun. Time is flying. Yeah, I'll just keep going. Y'all, y'all yeah. can y'all can leave. I'll just keep presenting. Oh no, me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we try to have these like twenty minute podcasts, and they end up being like forty five yeah. minutes long. Yeah. So we're 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 just enabling each other is what's happening yeah. today, which is great. It's fine. People are still here, so thanks for joining with yeah. us, guys. We're gonna keep talking. Um, <laughs> But that leads us into this idea because you were talking about the stanzas of all things bright and beautiful that are no longer there. Right. Um, yeah. Cause they're terrible. Cause they're terrible. Right. And so they're like each person in their station. It's like the oh, rich no. and the poor and God put them there. And so they should stay there. It's like, Oh no, no, we don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, <laughs> have you ever, I, I will admit it, especially early in my career, I would, I would schedule a hymn. And if because you know I've, I've played for a number of different denominations and the hymnals are different. And yeah, I would right. schedule yeah. a hymn and then we, I would, you know, read through it because it's like you know okay. And then you catch a verse you didn't know or you didn't quite catch and you're playing it and your eyes get wider and wider and oh, wider. No. Like, oh no! What's happening? Yeah. That's a special fear. Um, yeah. But so the question is, do we? Um, do we always have to sing songs that we theologically agree with? This was a 
um, an audience submitted question actually. Yeah. Um, um, the answer is, uh, yeah, you should. Um, but no, you shouldn't. Um, I, I mean, like you, ne- you don't want a steady diet of songs that are fundamentally against what your community is striving towards or believes because what we sing shapes who we are and what we think about God. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where my definition of worship comes in. So the questions that I, when I think about what worship is, it's who do we think we are? Who do we think God is? And how do we think those two identities interact? That's essentially what we're doing when we worship. We're, we're naming God. We're saying, God, this is who we think you are. Uh, you're great. You're mighty. You're powerful. You listen to us. And, you know, we tell stories about God from the Bible and all this stuff. Um, but we also, we're also presenting to God who we are. Mm-hmm. We confess. We are sinners. We have sinned. You know, uh, we are children of God, you know, assurance of pardons. And um, w- we are expressing to God, like, th- this is who we think we are. Here, here's us, you know, on a platter. And then how those two things interact, you know, do we believe that God's just up there making decisions without our in, without our input? Um, if we can have input on how things go, how does that work? Um, how, how do, how does God and humanity interact in the world? So, so if those things, if you're on, if you're on track with that, if you're cool with that kind of definition and that working model for worship, then a question like, do I like this song or even do we like this song is really a bad question. Um, cause it, it doesn't have much to do with likes and dislikes, partly going back to that kind of hospitality idea, but also because the questions we need to be asking about our songs need to be a lot deeper than that. We need to be asking things like, are we expressing who we are to God? Is this true to who we are? Right. Um, or are we opening up ourselves to who God's calling us to be part of the Christian journey and part of being a community of faith together is acknowledging that where we currently are is not where we should be. Right. No one's gotten it all right at individually or as a community. Otherwise, you know, they'd be done. Right. Rapture, you know, woohoo, we did it. That hasn't happened. So, <laughs> um, so we have to acknowledge that God's calling us to a new place at all times. We're always striving to move towards this calling that God has placed on our lives individually and as a community. So sometimes a song may challenge us, may bring up new ideas, may introduce new concepts of God. Um, and that's okay. It could be that after we get challenged, we could say, Nope, that really isn't where we're being called to. Mm-hmm. Or it could be that, wow, yeah, that is where God's calling us to be. So by singing songs that we have problems with or that we haven't encountered before or maybe problematic or questionable can be a very healthy exercise as a community because it allows us, it can challenge us to really ask some deeper questions other than did I like that or not. Um, and the final question is, how can God use the song? I get really tired of a, we're pretty selfish, you know, Augustine's like pride is the original sin, right? Like we, we're pretty prideful as a, as a humanity. And, you know, we think we, I chose this hymn and look what it did. It converted three people to Christ, you know, or whatever, or, you know, that's God did that. You know, it's like, we have to stop assuming that we're the only ones that can manipulate all this stuff and really like, how can God use this song? I've chosen stuff and I'm like, oh, I should not have chosen that. That was such a bad decision. And then someone comes up and they're like, that was one of the most meaningful spiritual experiences I've ever had in my life. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I didn't do that. God did that. Cause I would have made a different decision in retrospect. You know, it's like, <laughs> um, so how can God use the song? It's a good question. Um, so we have a song that I like to use to challenge people. This is a song from the theological perspective of something called process theology. The mind of God is forever changing. 
forever pondering what shall yet come true forever noting every child's potential forever all things anew. The heart of God is forever changing, forever moved by each cry of start again the world God made is forever changing moving forever moving between death and I think I have one at the end, don't I? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's by rote, so you don't need to share anything. This is a song from the Native American Church, which is actually a denomination, um, not a not a catch-all for all Native Americans. <laughs> um, and it was found by in a in an old collection by a friend of mine named Amanda Powell, who you should have on for the symposium. She's amazing. Um, and but I learned it from Jorge Lockwood, who you should have on for the symposium. He's amazing. Um, and and it's a it's a lovely song of Thanksgiving. And so I'll I'll sing the first part and then and then I'll have you sing it back. So it's thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this day. Let's try that. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this day. The next part's similar. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this day. Try that. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this day. And then the last part is this healing, this healing, this healing day. This healing, this healing, this healing day. And then the next part, same way, but it finishes at the end. This healing, this healing, this healing day. 
This healing, this healing, this healing day. Let's do the whole thing. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this day. This healing, this healing, this healing, this healing day. This healing, this healing, this healing day. Thank you, Brian, so much. And thank you all of you for attending our symposium. There will be at least one more uh, coming up in this year. To all of you, thank you so much. Go out, sing each other's songs. And thank you for this healing day, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.